Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. Hello, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. Today is a good day. And on this good day, I'm on the phone with Nora Caron, who lives in, well, who lives outside of Montreal, Quebec. She has traveled to many countries as a child, developing a love for culture, people and art. In junior college, she took up photography and film and worked as a photojournalist for two Quebec magazines. At 20, Nora studied psychology at the university and then turned to English literature, where she fell in love with Shakespeare's works. She graduated from McGill University in 2006 with a BA in literature She speaks Spanish and some German and French and English. And recently, she has written a trilogy of books, very interesting books about uh, a fascinating woman who I imagine resembles her quite a bit. And these books are called, the first one, Journey, To the Heart. The next one is called New Dimensions of Being. And the third one is Jaguar Dreams. These books are published by Homebound Publications. And um, I have not read them all, but I have read uh, quite a bit of them. And they're very fascinating. And I just want to say that it's about time that we had a woman uh, CC. Well, okay, I won't hold back. Carlos Castaneda. So welcome, Nora. And um, so what drove you to write prolifically like this? I want to first thank you for having me on your show. It's such an honor um, and to be welcomed with such a title. I don't think I deserve that because I am such a big fan of Carlos myself. (laughs) Um, I was pushed to begin writing at a very young age. Um, At around eight years old, I picked up a pen and I started to write a lot in my journal. Um, The way that I received information was always through words, and I began very young to compile long lists of thoughts and ideas that I had running in my head, which led me to poetry for a long time, and at the age of 21, I began to write Journey to the Heart, and yes, I I think that you hit that on the nail when you said that Lucina 
is a lot like me. Um, she is a lot like every woman who stumbles and falls and eventually falls upon herself head first, kind of like hitting a wall. And then she stands back and says, who is this person looking at me? And that's what happened in these books. I wrote them to begin with as therapy, and they turned into uh, my own desire to explore other parts of myself that I didn't know about. So through my own writing, I explored myself and found out that there were parts of me that were very surprising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you remind me it was a long time ago. I remember the exact day in, in the far summer of 1984, looking at myself in the mirror, and for the first time, I was conscious of my own eyes looking back at me. Mm-hmm. So you are sort of describing that experience, that eventually yeah. you, you look back at yourself and you know there is something there. Exactly. And I think all of us that seek to understand, you know, the great universe and the world around us, we, we find tools in which to connect with ourselves. And I was lucky enough to discover the writing tool at a, at a young age. But there are so many tools available for, for us to encounter ourselves. And Lucina talks about her need for introspection through writing in the first book. And this is her therapist who suggests to her after her burnout to go to Mexico and really sit down with a pen and write and let out everything that she's bottled up inside her whole life. And, you know, there are very amazing things that happen to us when we allow ourselves to sit and clear out all that is around us and just allow ourselves to communicate with ourselves, whether that's through music or through writing or through cooking, because I love to cook as well. Um, And I know you do too, I think, Joanne. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, it was quite interesting because last night I randomly chose a restaurant to go to and I went with your book. And then... I was reading further in the book, not the first time I was in into the books, but I realized that the restaurant where I was was called Dr. Fields Good. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there's a doctor, yeah, there's a Dr. Field in your book. There is, exactly. That's a, well, I don't believe in coincidence, so that... That's very incredible. That's a, it's beautiful. I, I felt right then we were connected. So who is this mysterious Dr. Field? Oh, that's a really good question. Dr. Field is not anyone that I know. Um, he or it is really my, my own dialogue with my inner therapist. And um, he's quite comical, this therapist, as as you might have read. But Mm -hmm. um, he's not a normal therapist. He doesn't prescribe, you know, little pink pills to soothe all your problems. Um, He swears a lot and he says really crazy things, which are quite shamanic at times. So 
Dr. Fields is also um, related to my passion for nature, my love of nature and the fields. I love to walk in fields and receive information as I walk. So that is, that's what that's about. That was so funny because that, that, that restaurant is called uh, uh, Dr. Fields because it's farm to table. So <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Nora, um tell us about um your love of nature and how you have um woven that into your books. Yes. Um you know, for a very long time I was seeking answers to very profound philosophical questions at a very young age. I think that's also the influence of my father, who was a philosophy teacher for a long time, and he taught the great Germans. So uh-huh. We used to have great philosophical discussions together around the table, and it was very stimulating for my mind. Um, and I began to really ask very deep questions during my teenage years, And I would go to nature, and it was really in nature that I received the answers to those questions. And they didn't come in the form of precise answers as much as feeling more connected with everything around me. And it's, it's through nature that I really discovered who I was and what I was doing here on Earth. And it was in the silence that I was able to hear Um, messages coming in and, and my, my stories that eventually became books. So I would say that a lot of my writings are about helping people go back to the simplicity that we once knew before all the technology happened, before we became a very modern IT society. And uh, ironically enough, I, I do use a lot of computers. I, I, I will not hide that fact. I write my stories on a computer. But I also love to sit outside with a pen and paper and to return to the original way of writing. So for me, nature is, is really where the truth is, where the answers are. And I've always believed simplicity is, is truth and mm-hmm. that we complicate a lot of our lives by seeking, um, you know, spiritual guidance at events or with teachers, and they, they do help us, but I believe nature is the greatest teacher. So much of the books are set in uh, Oaxaca. Um, did, did you live in Oaxaca? I didn't live in Oaxaca, but I visited Mexico 10 years ago, And I was in the Yucatan Peninsula, mm-hmm. and um, I went for several weeks there, and I loved the energy so much. I felt like I was reconnecting with, with my past, and I was reconnecting with something very, very powerful inside of me. And I have a, I have a good story to share with you, Joanna, about yes. uh, an adventure I had in uh, Chichen Itza. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. Yes, and there's the Pyramid of the Sun, you know, in the, in the middle of the, of the site. And when I was there in 2002, they had um, shut out most of the tourists from going into the pyramid, and they had posted guards everywhere. 
And at the time, and I'm still very much like this, but at the time I was very adventurous and I, I thought to myself, I have to get inside that pyramid. I have to sit and meditate when the sun sets. I've come all the way from Canada and I want to sit in that pyramid. Mm-hmm. And so I waited in the bushes um, until the sun was just about to set and they had closed off the site for the day. And I was very aware that what I was doing was very dangerous because people get arrested for this sort of thing in Mexico. And what I did was I, I just closed my eyes and I made a prayer that no one would see me. And when the guards had their backs turned, I raced up the stairs all the way to the top of the pyramid. And I sat down in the in the chamber. Um, I don't know if you've been in there, but it's, it's quite a special, it's a special place. And... Uh, I was sitting there for about an hour, and uh, I had a lot of visions. A lot of things happened to me while I was sitting there. It was like I was traveling in time and going back and then going forward. It was a very profound experience for me. And when I finished my hour, I realized I had to go back down the stairs, and there were guards. And, I again, I closed my eyes, and I prayed, and I said, Mm -hmm. you know, great spirit, please helped me down these stairs back into the bushes. And so I, I went back down the stairs, and no one caught me. So that was a day that I remember very, very clearly. Do you have um, a... Well, what I would like to say to that is uh, I want to uh, salute your courage and uh, I do believe that consciousness requires enormous courage. And uh, that's very much what you talk about in the book, is uh, is facing your courage, falling back and then facing your courage again. Yes. Yes, and a lot of people, you know, they feel alone in the world. And I think that's one of the things that we have to learn to walk with, with a lot of pride, because this feeling of aloneness develops strength and it develops courage. And instead of seeing it as a weakness, we have to see it as a strength that knowing that we are ultimately alone, this this gives us the strength and the courage to go forward and face obstacle after obstacle and not rely on other people to hold our hand. Um... You know, and, and I'm sure in reading your biography too, Joanne, I, I was mm-hmm. very impressed by your life journey. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a lot in common. We do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, well, I'm touched by that. And, and of course, I, uh, I, I, feel, uh, I feel tender emotion coming up, which is just wonderful. Um. Nora, tell us a little bit because um, I want people who are listening to us to have a real taste about your books. Tell us a little bit of a synopsis of each book and maybe at the same time you could relate that synopsis to events in your life and who you are today. Okay, thank you. Um, Journey to the Heart is my first novel and it it really is about me 10 years ago. I had a burnout at 23 years old when I was at McGill University 
and I was struggling with paying for my rent and, you know, the usual Mm -hmm. things in life. And I had, you know, four jobs and I had a boyfriend that was kind of difficult, if I can put it mildly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that, that book came out of my realization that we don't need to be like other people. And that's far from the quest of being complete. We need to find out what we need in life to be healthy and happy and not what other people want us to have. And we have so much pressure from society uh, to be successful, you know, to have money and to be beautiful and rich and all those things. Mm -hmm. And that's all great. You know, that can happen if you're following your own path. Um, And so I realized I was following a path that wasn't at all for me. And I wanted to originally teach in university. And my passion for Shakespeare is what originally drove me to that idea because I love Shakespeare's works. And I wanted to teach people the the hidden spiritual gems in Shakespeare. Mm. But I soon discovered that world was not for me despite all the love I have for literature. I realized it was a very cold and very detached world, you know, um, from the heart, from spirit. And so I felt alienated from myself while I was in university. And I tried as much as I could to fit in. It just didn't work. Mm -hmm. And by the time I graduated at 29 years old, um, I was really nauseous uh, about the system. And it's not to point any fingers or anything, but some of the teachers that were teaching these great authors, they were stuck in these paradigms that were so limiting, and they couldn't recognize um, some of the talent that was coming in through the writing, and I ended up really not being at my place, basically. And so Journey to the Heart is all about a woman who has a burnout. Mm-hmm. And she goes to Mexico to reconnect with her spirit. And that's very much what I did. And while she's in Mexico, she's still in her Western, you know, scientific mind that's trying to analyze everything at a cerebral level. And then she encounters Señora La Bota, <laughs> which, trans- <laughs> which translates in Spanish to the boot. Yeah, woman exactly. Of, woman, woman of, of the, the boot. boot. And I was lucky enough to meet a shaman who was like Senora La Bota, and she was really, really, very, very connected. Let's just put it that way. And she really shook me up, and she took me and was always asking me these disturbing questions, and she would always, always ask me why. And that question always disturbed me because I couldn't explain why certain things were, they were why they were like that. And so this woman in my book goes to Mexico, meets, you know, the woman of the boot. And this woman of the boot looks at her and says, ah, you Westerners always trying to understand everything in the mind, never in the heart. And the journey begins at that moment because the woman invites Lucina to her house and says, you can camp on my land and in exchange you can work for me. And Lucina thinks that this woman is completely bonkers. 
Mm-hmm. And she she's like, oh my goodness, I've lost my mind. You know, I'm I'm gonna go work for this woman, and so she goes and she, you know, I won't tell the whole story. No, 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 meet, no. <laughs> <laughs> she meets a a charming, green-eyed, black-haired uh, herbalist who happens to be Senora La Bota's son, Taleo, and Taleo, uh, he's a healer. Say what, also, teleo, say what teleo means. Yeah, so in Greek, teleo yes. means change or transformation. Uh-huh. Telos. Telos. And, telos. And it came to me, you know, one night I was sitting there and I really, you know, I dialogue with my characters, you know, as I'm writing books. And teleo was just, wow, he just had a lot to say to me and... I was sitting there, and I said, okay, well, what's your name, you know? And the uh-huh. character said, Taleo, and I said, that's the weirdest name I've ever heard, but okay, I'll write that down. <laughs> and um, and the so initiates, we, huh? the initiates are the Telestai. Yes. So yeah. he's also, he's a, he's a shaman. He is a shaman. He is a very, very joyful, very simple very real shaman. He doesn't come from a place of arrogance or ego. He's all about humility and simplicity, which is, to me, the correct path when you are seeking the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they meet. Lucina meets Taleo, and Lucina means to give birth. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole female character is giving birth to herself in the books. And so she encounters Taleo, you know, change, and the woman of the boot. Mm-hmm. So she's there to learn. And both of these characters will teach Lucina the real path to her herself and her spirit. And Lucina doesn't know anything about her spirit. Um, she starts to have dreams in this first book, and the dreams are really her first communication with her spirit. And I'm fascinated by dreams, Joanne. I love dreams. I have a dream book since about 25 years, and I map my dreams, and I try to understand them. And uh, I think everybody should do the same. Dreams are really a bridge between our our soul and our, our reality. I believe it. I believe it. Mm. Yes. And so the second book is Lucina's, you know, continuation in Mexico with these characters. And she encounters new people at a sacred fire ceremony. Um, And I've had the chance of working with a very wonderful medicine woman in Quebec named Catherine Rose Bearheart Woman, Uh who is a very dear friend of mine that I love very much, who has a center in Quebec called Bear Heart Center, a wonderful center. And we've been doing sweat lodges over the years together. And she is the one who taught me about sacred fires and about the ancestors and the directions and Mm. how to conduct a sweat lodge. And those are very uh, wonderful teachings that I start to share in the second book, but given the nature of these teachings, we're not allowed to share them in in writing. They're really about being experienced. Mm -hmm. 
So I've only given a bit of them in the second book, but John is, is the shaman in the second book, and Senora Labota and him work together at these sacred fires to help people through the energy shifts that are happening. And in this second book, Lucina, you know, she goes to another level, and she enters the path of definitely the initiate, you know, on the spiritual quest. And she starts to tell people about dreams that she's having. And these dreams are profoundly disturbing. And the dream in this book, in this second book, is a dream that I've had. And I had this dream for several years before I finally was able to understand what it meant. Um, so a lot of the dreams in the books are dreams that I myself have had that I wanted to share with people. And um, in the second book, you know, Lucina, as she's becoming more aware of her power and who she is, she commits a few mistakes, like we all do. And she she will lose something, but she will gain something even greater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that from the readers that I've heard back from, they say that the second book is what we call the dark night of the soul in, in the shaman path. Right, right. And it's it's not an easy book to read for some people, and some people have actually told me they were profoundly disturbed by it, but I was very happy to hear that. That is very, very good. That is one thing that I love about your books, is the vulnerability of the characters. Not just the main character, but the vulnerability of the characters and the the uh, ups and downs, and uh, the bitterness, the anger, all of these things that are in there. It's not a story of uh, someone who um, has uh, just highly enlightened spirit. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. So... Nora, I know we have the third book we want to talk about, but um, uh, let's talk about um, sexuality because it's uh, usually a hidden subject, but it's a great part of your works. Yes. That's a wonderful topic, Joanna. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I am lucky to have been born in a family that didn't impose a religion on me. So I grew up very free, and I actually didn't set foot in a church until I was 15 years old, if you can believe that. Mm. Um, I wasn't baptized, and this is the first time I revealed this publicly. I wasn't baptized because my parents really believed that their children should pick their own religion and... It was funny because when I was in primary school, some parents of my friends didn't allow me to play with them because I wasn't baptized. It was really outrageous for some people, this this thing. (laughs) And, you know, I was even, you know, I had these little nicknames, but one of the friends that I, I, I had in primary school, her mother went up to me one day and said, you must be the devil's child. You're not baptized. (laughs) And uh, it was really crazy because 
I just looked at her and I said, well, no, I'm not the devil's child, but do explain what you mean by that. And the woman couldn't explain what she meant by that comment, so she was even more angry with me. So I grew up in a place, um, in an environment that allowed me to really discover my own beliefs and values, and I thank my parents for that a lot. Uh, my parents actually, they got me to believe that. Mm -hmm. They... Um, they ran off together in 1973, and they got married in New Delhi in India, just to let you know how alternative they are. I get it. Um, I get it. <laughs> and so I grew up, you know, eating Indian food, and I had uh, statues of Ganesh and Shiva next to my bed at night. Right. So I was introduced to a very different culture, and we had all sorts of religions in the house. We had Buddhism, we had, you know, Hinduism, uh, we had pieces of Judaism in the house. And Beautiful. So people were very confused about me. They were very, you know, confused growing up, and they would always ask me, what's your religion? And I would say, all religions. Oh, Beautiful. And they would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Who do you believe in? And I said, I believe in the universe. And they would say, what, what is that, you know? Yes, yes, <laughs> so yes. So I didn't have, you know, um, a restriction from any book concerning sexuality. Um, and I was able to grow up with a very open mind concerning sexuality. So... I would say that I discovered sexuality through books, and um, for me, sexuality was not something that was reserved um, for body. It was really an energy, and I discovered as I was writing that I was experiencing states of ecstasy while I was doing art as much as if I was sleeping with somebody. I agree. And I started to make the connection between the creative energy and sexuality being the one and same thing when I was about 23 years old and I was exploring a bit of Tantra and Kama Sutra with my boyfriend at the time. And I realized, you know what, this is all the same thing. The creative energy and our physical bodies, when we activate the snake energy, which a lot of shamans talk about, um, when we activate the serpent within us, it's really the creative fountain, and it's linked to our sexuality. But it's much more than that. It's, it's our divinity that's active. And so for me, sexuality is a direct connection to God or goddess, and it's the way in which we are balanced within ourselves and the ultimate connection is when we are feeling like we don't need a partner, that we're just connected within our own creative energy and we're able to sit with that and just vibrate with that energy. And Taleo in the first book, he talks about the snake energy and he says to Lucina that the Bible has turned sexuality into a sin because religions don't want us to be powerful. Religions want us to be subservient. And he says that if we all are awakened, if we're all connected to our life force, our snake energy, our creative energy, 
we don't need a third party anymore. We're just connected straight to God. That's right. And he explains how in the Bible, you know, when Eve tastes the apple mm-hmm. and the snake appears, mm. he explains that that is her sexual awakening and that that is the first contact with her divinity that casts her out of God's kingdom. And so I had these notions a long time ago that people have misunderstood what the snake energy is. And they've turned it into the devil, they've turned it into Satan, when really all it is is our own inner God. Exactly. And then they pull out Mary Magdalene to prove the point. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah, dear Mary Magdalene. Yeah. 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 So um, let's go to this uh, deadly predator. Who is the deadly predator? Ah, the deadly predator. Are you talking about the vampires in the books? No, I'm actually talking about what happens in the forest. Ah, what happens in the jungle. Yes. Okay. In the selva. Yes, so in the third book, that's a great uh, topic. In the third book, Lucina has to go in the jungle to search for her lover who has run away from her. She's committed a mistake, and she's now chasing the love of her life in the Guatemalan jungles. And, you know, there, there are so many metaphors about meeting our, our predator, our inner predator. And I know that there's a great book that was written about the predator, Women Who Run With Wolves. And that was a book that greatly influenced me, by the way. Yes. And so this predator in the third book is not what Clarissa Estes talks about in this book, because in her book she mentions how the predator is our own self-destructive mechanism. In my third book, the predator is really her spirit, Um, and it's in the form of a jaguar. And in Native American teachings, we all have animal spirits that guide us, and these animal spirits protect us, and every one of us has one, and it's kind of our quest to discover what is our animal totem. And Lucina goes on this quest, and she meets her animal totem, and it's a, it's a situation of life and death, and that's what happened to me in my own journey. I was faced with a predator one night in the woods, but this predator was not an animal. He was a man, and um, it was a very scary story. I, I think that I survived only because I was protected, but there was once a man that followed me in the woods near my parents' house, and for some reason I was able to outrun him in the night, and nothing came to me that was harmful. Mm -hmm. And I remember reaching my parents' door and thinking, how did I manage to outrun um, that person, you know, that, that predator? And I realized it was only because I wasn't afraid. I ran 
because I let go and I surrendered. Mm -hmm. And that's what Lucina does in this third book. She surrenders to the jaguar that's in front of her. And uh, I won't tell you what happens. No, no, no. (laughs) But (laughs) she does surrender, and with that, she makes a connection with the jaguar totem, the animal spirit. And I explain in the third book what the jaguar represents. And so... It's kind of our quest as, as people searching for truth and for light to also commune with animals, not just nature. Animals contain a lot of power, and when we're able to befriend them, we're able to have allies in the animal kingdom. And uh, the jaguar is, is, is a very powerful ally to have. So that, that's the predator in the third book, which is really an animal totem. In your, um, in your blog about uh, nature, you also have uh, a blog on your website, and uh, I'm referring to the piece In the Loving Arms of Nature. You say there is a way of living in society without losing your roots, and I would love for you to expand on that, um, about how you do that and how you suggest we all do that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's, uh, that's something that recurs in my writings. How do we balance modernity with spirituality? Because really spirituality is the stripping away of all uh, material things that are not needed, you know, for our spirit to grow and, and to you know, be joyful. Um, the way that I experience staying grounded in our modern society, of course, number one is through nature, but number two is through eating healthy food. And um, I know we mentioned it before, cooking, but yes. cooking with, with power is something that many people don't do. They come home and they shove food that's frozen in the oven and they don't think about it and they turn on the TV and, you know, they listen to the negative news and they all wonder why they're depressed, you know? (laughs) Yes. So one way that I stay grounded and rooted is by eating organic food that I make myself in which I put an intention and whatever I'm cooking, I put an intention in the food. And so I make soups or I make lasagna or I make special salads that have a vibration that will help me. Because in our society, it's not at McDonald's that you're going to find joyful food. You know, no. um, let's be no. honest about that. And I believe that food contains vibrations that either help us or that keep us down. So... For me, one of the ways that I stay grounded is, you know, through eating very healthy food that I make. And the third thing that I love to do is I play music. Um, Uh. I'm not a musician publicly by any means, but I have a guitar and I have a djembe. And every single day I will pick up an instrument and I have a free music session by myself in which I just... I jam and I, I, you know, I let it go. And that's another way for me to stay grounded and rooted. And a great Um, way to pray. 
Yes, and a great way to pray as well. And another way that I like to stay connected is through singing. I did several years of opera singing, and that was really just for my own pleasure. Wow. And I discovered I love to just sing my lungs out. <laughs> and uh, I sing in German, which I really love. So I, I love to sing the German. and German like opera, to, um, you sing Wagner? Yes, I do. <laughs> oh, wow. And uh, I, one of my favorite ones is by Ida. Um, and when I am laid, you know, it's it's just when she's about to, to kill herself. It's a very dramatic piece, but mm-hmm. there's so much emotion in that opera, Ida. Um, I and I just sing for myself. I just sing out of pleasure because, again, you know, singing is another thing that connects us to our spirits and opens up the chakras and lets out our emotions. And I think you're also a musician, Joanna. Is that correct? You're also into music. Um, well, I adore music, and uh, I, I feel and think that music is a great channel to, uh, between all of us and, uh, and the universe. I mean, music is, maybe music is the is a primary language. And um, yeah. I must say that uh, having been shut up a lot as a child, I have just rediscovered my singing voice. And mm-hmm. I have one word for it. It's divine. It really is truly divine to um, feel the sound grounded in one's body and just and then to let it flow out into the into the air. We have one more oh we have many more things to talk about, but uh, I want to um, to hear your thoughts and feelings about water. I love water. That's number one. I, I'm i always in the ocean. Every time I can be in the ocean, I'm in the ocean. In the third book, there are ocean teachings um, by Senora Labota to Lucina about the purifying powers of water. And I just had a really wonderful life near beaches. I go there a lot. And it was there that I learned about how ocean water is extremely beneficial for our spirits and minds and our bodies. And in the first book, uh, Taleo speaks to Lucina about soulmates. As they're sitting by a stream, he's talking to her about soulmates. And one of the recurring themes of the books is learning to let go and flow like water. And people are of the opinion in the West that we have to always be in control and it's, you know, it's not letting go that will bring us what we need. It's about holding on very tightly and not letting go. But in the Eastern philosophy, water is actually the most powerful element because it can eat away at a rock over Mm -hmm. time. And that's one of the teachings that I, I communicate in my books is that we have to learn to stop holding on so hard that we end up making ourselves sick, that we end up making ourselves anxious and giving us burnouts and giving us cancer 
because when we let go and we flow with the stream of our spirit, that's really when we are able to reach our destination in one piece, healthy and wealthy and happy. And Lucina is not used to living like that. She thinks she needs to fight, 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 and always hold on and, and, and be like fire. She wants to burn everything. And she's angry and she's bitter about men, about her boss, about her mother, about so many things. Mm-hmm. But Taleo is like water. He tells her, no, like, you know, those emotions are not good for you. You have to learn to let go. And so that's what I hopefully communicate in these books is the need to really let go, flow like water, and learn that in releasing what we truly desire eventually comes to us, but sometimes it's not at the timing that we want it. It will come maybe later, but we need to be patient. We're so impatient in our society. Yes, we are. We always want everything now, 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 and we don't want to wait for it. So hopefully these books teach us about being patient and letting go. Nora, uh, it's just been lovely being with you. And um, we've come to this place where um, I'd like to ask you, what would you like to say in closing for this time? Well, I would like to say to everybody that in life, there are no mistakes because everything that happens to us happens to make us grow and make us grow stronger. And that no matter what place you're at in your life, you have to be grateful for it. Because the bad times strengthen us and the good times make us happy. But we need always both sides to evolve. And so in the darkness, we learn to turn on our light. And in the light, we learn to take some moments in silence. That's what I would like to share today. Thank you so much, Nora Caron. And um, I hope a lot of people buy your books. Thank you so much, Joanna. It's been such a pleasure. And I really look forward to all your wonderful radio shows that will come and those that were recorded are, are really wonderful. Thank you for your gift. <laughs> 